feels like so much is changing in our culture, in our lives, in our families. feels like so much is changing that sometimes it's hard. We, we go back and we try to grab onto traditions that we have and things that we love. And, and for a moment in time, that can mean a lot. We got the holidays coming and there'll be Thanksgiving and Christmas and there'll be times of great joy and comfort. But you know those things end. But one thing never changes. One thing never, ever has changed since forever. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8 says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're going to get into this in our message this morning because I think, and I think Paul makes the case in Galatians 3, that we forget that while people change and our minds change and we change as we get older, God doesn't change, and we forget that. And it is in that that we place our firm hope. He's the one that never changes, and that's what makes him holy. The word holy is a religious word today, but it wasn't always a religious day. It's the, actually the same word in Greek that we get the word sanctuary from. It simply means set apart, different, unique. A sanctuary in, in, a, in a formal church is a place that's uniquely used for one thing, and that is the worship of God. We are the sanctuary of God. That's why we live differently, because we don't live like the world. We live as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is different than any other God even made by man because he never changes. He never changes his mind. He never, he never looks back at decisions he's made and went, oh, I didn't expect that. He's constant. And in that, we declare his holiness. Let's stand together as we sing this together, the holiness of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to the words as you sing this. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide me, 
Father, thank you for being our steady. Thank you for being our rock. Thank you for being the one we can depend on. The promises you've made. Your love for us. Your consistency. And Lord, as the world keeps changing and as things around us seem difficult right now, Father God, we ask that we would, I ask that our family, our, our spiritual family would cling to you. May we not cling to traditions. May we not just cling to family, but may we cling to you. Thank you for these songs of old that remind us of your faithfulness, that we can sing together and scream out the holiness of our God. We do love you. Help us trust you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Adam, before I give this to you, if you are uh, new to Carpenter's Way, we have our, uh, thank you, we have our Carpenter's Way 101 class going on right now in the library. It's not too late for you to jump back there. Kids are leaving for uh, our GPS program. Um, and so if you are interested in learning more about Carpenter's Way, meeting the pastoral staff and the elders and all that, you can make your way back to the library. And, and uh, it's not forcing you to join, but it's information on the church. So we'd love to have you go. Adam. Good morning, church. Good morning, morning. I have just a couple of quick announcements for you uh, today, and this is, is involving our youth. Uh, we have our fall retreat coming up in just a couple of weeks, and so I wanted to remind you students and parents that right after this morning's service, right over here, uh, we're going to have uh, an information meeting giving you all the details that you need to know about that retreat, all right? Uh, if this is the first time you're hearing about the retreat and you're a student and you're like, oh, I want to go. It's not too late to sign up. Come on to the meeting today and we'll get you squared away, all right? The other thing that I'd like to do is just invite us as uh, an entire church body to, to pray over this retreat. Um, just to pray for the students uh, that they would have an open mind and heart as God would reveal himself to them over that, the course of the weekend. Pray for the leaders uh, who are giving of their time uh, to come and, and mentor the students as we go about the weekend. Uh, we're so thankful for them. To pray for the, the speakers. Zach is going to be bringing uh, several messages while we're there and, and myself. And we just want our words to be what God would have us to say. And so would you pray for us as we bring the message um, would you pray for the, the band that's going to come, that they would lead us in worship well, uh, that we would be, uh, that our hearts would respond to God as they should. Um, we're going to have a panel of pastors come and uh, uh, help us think through questions that the students would have. So Mark and myself and Jeff and Alicia and Julie and Amber, they're all going to be there to field questions from our students. Would you pray for them? as well. Uh, this weekend is going to be awesome. It's going to be restful, but we're also going to be thinking a lot. And so there might be times where it gets difficult. Uh, and so would you just pray for the students and everybody that's going to be involved there. Uh, Pawnee Woods is great, and we're going to have a fun time over there. So pray for them as well, because we're wild. <laughs> all right, that's all I got for us this morning. Here you are. I don't remember being invited on the panel. Yes, just go. I'm hurt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was invited. But I want your hair cut. Like, does it take a long time to shave it around the sides? I don't know. I don't do it. <laughs> does, does Amber do it? Oh. You pay a lot for that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs>
you're, you would stay here the whole time, wouldn't you? Just, you are so funny. <laughs> Sometimes um, I wish we could just meet in a living room. That, I, I don't want to shrink the church that much, but you know, that's, that's how the church was invented, is to gather under trees. And most of, most of the time when Jesus even ministered, after he got kicked out of synagogues, he went and met under trees with people and by rivers. And I, I, I love our facility. I'm so thankful for it. But you know, all of the trappings of the church have taken away the interpersonal, that just that, that building each other up and ministering and caring for each other. And, and uh, man, in times like turbulence, like even this week, it's just we just need each other, don't we? Keep loving on each other and praying for each other. For those of you who don't know, uh, Daryl Douglas went to be with Jesus this week. And uh, we're going to have a funeral for him at two, a memorial service, a celebration of life service at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, you want to be praying for the Douglas family. Uh, the Strong family lost uh, Kim's mom this week. And actually, she's not lost. I, hate, I, I don't know why I said that. I always talk about that. They're not lost. Both of these people had a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus, so they're not lost. We know exactly where they are. And, uh, but uh, be praying for each other. I want to remind you there's three ways to pray for each other. One way, well, just there's lots of ways to pray for each other. But uh, formally, if you, would, if you have a prayer request, something you want people to lift you up, and it's not an urgent prayer request, you can send an email or call the office, and Dolores will put it on there. If you have an emergency, if you text Dolores, we'll get our urgent prayer group together. We've got like 35 people night and day, 24 hours a day to get texts, and we stop and pray uh, for whatever's going on. The other thing is if you're new to us or you want to be uh, anonymous, as you leave between the two uh, doors, uh, over here is a wood wall. It's called the prayer wall, and, and on the table in front of it are just three by five pieces of paper, and you can just write a prayer request. You don't have to put your name. We do ask that if you're a child of God, that when you add one, you take one. So we're praying for each other. But if you want something anonymous that's going on and... Uh, uh, that's perfectly fine, and, and uh, we're certainly, uh, I, I just encourage you to take care of each other. So uh, I feel like, and, and I know you've heard this from me, probably feel this, and I, pr I probably feel this a lot, but I really feel like this morning's message is one of the most, I, I wrote the elders yesterday, and one came up to me today and said, so what makes this, when I've read your outline, what makes it so important to you? I think this is probably one of the most important messages I've ever preached in all my years of ministry. Uh, and to, to grasp why, you've got to stay with me the whole time because it's the very end that you'll understand how significant this really is. Uh, it's how we view salvation really tells us what we view of God. It really does. Um, because the inclination is, and I've heard this here in, in, in East Texas quite a lot, don't let doctrine divide. And I agree with that. The rapture. God's not going, oh, should I rapture him or not? He's got it all played out. I don't know why God talks like that. But uh, things like tongues. God isn't worried about if you speak in tongues or not. God's worried if you worship speaking in tongues or you give it more credence. I'm going to argue, and this makes me a lousy Baptist, I'm not sure God cares if you're fully immersed or three-quarters of your body are immersed or you're sprinkled as long as you are saying to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know, I'm going to get email. My name is Jeff at carpentersway.com. Um, but uh, he's not losing sleep. I even think he's not losing sleep over who's the president of the United States or whether we go socialist. He's not losing sleep over that. Um, God has this settled. What I do think matters 
is what we believe about God. And there are some doctrines you can't mess with. And that was happening in Galatia. By way of the churches in the Galatian region, by way of review, Paul on his first missionary journey went through this area and many were saved, mostly Gentiles in these areas because this is a mostly Gentile region. And they were, uh, many were saved and as a result, he gathered pockets of believers in different communities to encourage each other. These people had now abandoned the, uh, the polytheism of Gentile communities. They were saying Jesus is the only way. Many of them, there were also Jews in these communities who went for work. They had abandoned the old covenant thinking that the law was God. I'm aware that most of you have never met a devout Hebrew Jew. Uh, They often stayed in their own community. When Zach was doing magic in high school, he and I had the privilege of going to uh, New Orleans. And there is a large Hasidic Hasidic community there of about 6,000 people. It was crazy. We went there and they all had their curls, the guys in the black hats. And um, they were more liberal than most because it is in Jewish Hebraic teaching that magic is not allowed. But what was crazy is after several of them said, is this real? That's how good you were, Zach. Those were the days. Um, but, the, but the fact, what's, what's crazy is we met Uh, devout, religious, Hebraic Jews who had never met a Gentile and they lived in New Orleans. Isn't that incredible? Well, it's the same for most of us. Most of you, San Diego has a large community and so does Chicago. And so we've had the opportunity to interact. We got to go, like I said, to New Orleans and, and meet with some. But the truth is most of you have never met people of, that are devoted to the law. And, and here's a fact that some rabbis will actually say. They believe that the law is God. They actually believe that. The most devout Jews believe that God is the law and the law is God, which makes John's statement at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word. They would have gone, oh, we know that. And the Word was with God. Oh, and the Word was God. And he's talking about Jesus. He's saying, you think the law is God. We're here to tell you that this man is God. Such a significant statement. All that is to say that these Jewish, uh, these Jewish Jesus followers, so they said, had been invading these churches throughout Galatia that were Jesus followers in, in every sense. They had been saved through faith in Christ alone. And these Jerusalem-based uh, Judaizers who believe that, that salvation was through Jesus and the law, were now coming in and they were teaching the Galatian believers that to be saved, you needed to be circumcised. It wasn't enough just to know Jesus. Paul lays out his uh, frustration with what is going on, with how they embraced these false teachers, he calls them. In Galatians chapter 3, but 1 to 5, and this is what we looked at last week, but I want to start there because we're going to be at the end of Galatians 3 this morning. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death, the meaning of Christ's death, was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And if you didn't watch, time out, if you didn't watch last week's message, you need to go back and watch it because I go through what the meaning of, the, uh, of Christ's death was. And we also talk about that in the New Testament times, the question wasn't, did you walk an aisle? Did you pray a prayer? The question was, at times, were you baptized? Because that's how you signified that you were following Jesus, like we walk an aisle. But I would like to add to this, because this will come up later in, in Galatians, just because a person walks an aisle or is baptized doesn't make them saved, nor is that the function by which you're saved in the New Testament. But that was a question asked, how must a person be saved, be baptized, and you and your family. Remember that from Acts? But the truth is, when Paul talks about the difference between a believer and a non-believer, he refers to receiving the Holy Spirit. Because as I said last week, and this has to be drilled down if you're going to understand Galatians 5 when we get there, but the difference between a saved person and a non-saved person in eternity is not, did you go to a Baptist church or an Assemblies of God church or an Evangelical church? Were you a Republican? Did you get baptized? None of those questions. If there's such a thing as a ticket into heaven, according to Ephesians 1, it is the Holy Spirit. It actually says in Ephesians chapter 1 that He is the deposit guaranteeing our eternal life. And He is our seal. So in other words, when we are saved, the moment we accept Christ as our Savior, we are baptized in the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Will I ever give up? Will I ever cease to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes, in heaven. I will exchange the Holy Spirit for new life. This week, Daryl Douglas exchanged the Holy Spirit, whom he no longer needs, with eternal life. That is the bottom line. Why do I say that here? Because he asked the question in this verse, did you receive the Holy Spirit, meaning were you saved? And I really think we need to get back to that in the church because we keep thinking that being saved is something, something you punch a ticket or you do and receive. It is that, but it's God. You receive God. He comes to live within you. We need to, and, and there are ramifications of that. Stay tuned. We'll get there in Galatians 5. There are natural, organic outgrowth of the Holy Spirit being within. So, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. And I'd like to add, you silly little people, of course not. That was VeggieTales. I'm going to start identifying my voices because I always wonder where they come from. You receive the Holy Spirit because, here you go, this is how a person is saved. This is what we talked about last week. Because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish or how stupid can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? So the Spirit is your guarantee. It started by the Spirit. It was His work, last week's message. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit? In other words, are you saved? Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. So Paul then goes on to explain how, according to God, a person is saved using the hero of the false teachers. And I'm not making that up. He calls them false teachers. He calls their message a false gospel. So he uses the hero of these false teachers to make his point. And the hero of those false teachers was Abraham, the patriarch of the Jewish religion. Abraham believed God, Galatians 3 verse 6 says. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
Now, they would have grasped this at this point. They would have gone, I should have had a V8. I'm really old. But they, they because actually Abraham didn't even have the law. The law wasn't for 450 years later. So the law didn't save Abraham, and they must have been going, oh, that's right, it was faith. So God counted Abraham righteous, imputed righteousness, we talked last week, because of his faith. So the real children of Abraham are not those who have taken the knives to themselves, I added that, but those who put their faith in God. So while these, come, these people come in, and you can imagine this, they come in with robes, they come into the church with Hebraic traditions, they come into the church saying, it is great to be with you God's people today, or whatever, and they say, we are the children of God, and we're coming to tell you how to be children of God. The Gentiles, who constantly lived as second-class Christians, that's why Ephesians was written, Ephesians, and we'll get into there in the next coming years, but Ephesians was written to believers who didn't know that they were saved. Why? Because the Jerusalem church told them they weren't saved because they weren't Jewish enough. So Paul writes the letter of Ephesians to confirm that God redeemed them, and it goes through the first four chapters, tell them how they got saved, what the mystery of the gospel is, that it's to Gentiles as well as Jews, and then the last four chapters of how then shall we live because we have been chosen by God to be his kids. You see, the Gentiles in the new, in the, in the new church era always felt like second-class citizens because the mother church in Jerusalem was still filled with people that followed the Hebraic laws. And what Paul is saying here is such a slap to those people because they must have said, and I'm making this up, I don't know this for sure, but they probably said, we as the children of Israel from the mother church in Jerusalem greet thee. And we want you to know that God has informed us that he loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life that starts with circumcision. And all of the dumb Gentiles said, wow, look at their beautiful garments. And they are from Jerusalem. That's James Church, the brother of Jesus. Wow, maybe this is true. Maybe this is a new revelation. Maybe we should follow them. And Paul is saying as clearly as he can, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. And I, I, know, I know that this is not complicated for us. We are Gentiles. In fact, there is what we know up here, and then there's stuff that we just have in here, right? You know here, because of our teaching of the Scripture, that Christianity is not a Gentile religion. Heck, it's not a religion at all. But it's not a Gentile in its origin, that God chose the Hebraic people to, to, to birth his Messiah. He promised Abraham, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, to be the, uh, the people from which our Savior would be born for the Jews as well as the Gentiles. So uh, while we know up here it's Jewish, in here it feels like it's really Gentile. We, we don't struggle with things like circumcision. And I would argue that many super conservative evangelicals today sh struggle with the law. I, uh, I, I'm not being argumentative here this morning, but when I see the Ten Commandments out in front of a church sitting there, I have no idea what they mean by that. I, I don't. I don't know what it means. What, what, what is the purpose of it there? It actually, what it should be, is it should have a cross right through the middle of it, and it should be breaking, cracking, and, and, and falling apart. Because... The purpose of the church is not to make you Ten Commandment followers. I was thinking as Adam, who no longer is here, I guess he's sleeping in his office, that's okay, Amber. We hired you, he's, I don't know, whatever. But Adam, this weekend, uh, him, uh, or this camp, he and Zach are going to be teaching, they're going to be talking about who is God. 
I mean, who is God really, really? Not who we create him to be or who we wish he was. Who is God? And who is man in light of God? That's generally what they're going to be talking about. And uh, i got to say that I spent a lot of time as a student pastor talking about staying vir- a virgin and not doing drugs and alcohol. And while those are fine conversations, they have nothing to do with God. God saves sluts. Right? <laughs> God, God saves loose people. He saves gay people. He even saves self-righteous jerk Jews and some Baptists. I mean, he, he, he came to save sinners, not clean people. In fact, the clean people, Jesus said, and if you're visiting this morning, the word slut is used often from this pulpit. I'm sorry. We're not your normal everyday Baptist church, although we sang hymns this morning. But I, I, the, the, the fact remains that we act like sometimes that our job is to keep culture clean. That's why we're against drinking, right? Except that the Bible's never really against drinking. It's against the abuse of alcohol. Actually, it's against the abuse of food. Boy, we could use some of that in a Baptist church, amen, amen? I don't know who that came from. I mean, the, the fact is that, that, that we ignore gossip. Ah, uh, that's just Betty. Betty's been a gossip her whole life, but she loves Jesus. What? When was the last time somebody went, Pastor Mark has a porn addiction, but he loves Jesus? We've decided what sins are okay and what sins aren't. And, you know, we all fall back on the cross. Thank God for the cross. That's so true, but you've got to be consistent. And, and the problem is that somewhere along the line underneath, even though we don't struggle with circumcision, there is a fleshy part of us that's very much like Eve and Adam who think now that we're not going to hell... We really can do things to make ourselves better in line with God. We can, we can improve this. We can, we, can make it, we can make it more true or something. Whatever you call it, we all feel that pressure. Now, when we get to Galatians 5, we'll talk about the ramifications of our position in Christ and the Holy Spirit coming in. But we can't help this along. And I know I've preached this before, but I want to tell you why we not only shouldn't try but we should run from it. Moving on. Galatians 3.15, Paul goes on to say, I, right before this in, in chapter 1, he said, I am writing you today to preserve the gospel. There's a fervency in him that goes, the gospel is being distorted and changed in your presence, and you're not even fighting it. So I am writing this direct letter to you, foolish people, so that you'll wake up because the gospel that you are getting while sounding similar with some additions is not the same at all. And I want to add, adding baptism is a necessity of your salvation, adding uh, church attendance, adding uh, the mandatory speaking in tongues. These are all additions to the gospel. They're all additions to the gospel. And this morning... I want to show you why it's so stinking devastating to add to the gospel. Verse 15 of chapter 3, he starts in, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case or the case of salvation. In last week's study, that we saw that it is only through faith in Christ alone, and I read it again this morning, that a person is made right in her relationship with God 
and in turn receives eternal life. I, I would like to throw out to you again that the purpose with which Jesus Christ came and died on the cross was not to keep you out of hell, but to make you his child. And the way by which he did that was making you pure and holy. And the way he had to do that is to take your sinfulness, put it on Jesus, and take Jesus' holiness and put it on you. That's the exchange. That's what we talked about last week. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became the sinfulness of Mark so Mark could become the righteousness of God. As foolish as I am, as sinful as I am, as blind as I can be, as fleshy as I can be, I am pure and holy like Jesus, like God himself right now because Jesus took all of that sin in his body on the cross. We've got to believe that. We can't just amen it. We can't just agree with it. we got to believe it with every part of our being so that when somebody comes in and says, now that you're saved, you must, you can start doing this. Or what, pastor? Well, or dumb question. You know why. Am I going to hell? Well, no, you're sealed in the Holy Spirit. Then what? And there's an answer to that question. I'm so excited to get there in Galatians 5. There's an answer to that question. Should I, are you saying then that I shouldn't live holy? Not if it's not from a position. If you are trying to improve your standing with God, don't be holy. Go smoke dope. Because your theology is not going to save you. You're wrong, 100%. Why? Because an example from everyday life. Just as no one set aside or amended irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. It is Jesus Christ made a promise. If he doesn't keep his promise, he's a liar and deceiver. Let, let me get to the end of the message before I preach the middle of the message. If God doesn't keep his promise to Abraham and himself, I'll get there in a second. And that's why we want to add to the gospel like Eve, who looked at the fruit that God said stay away from, and saw that it was what? Desirable to what? Make her wise. It would improve her standing. It would improve her understanding of right and wrong. She could be more like God. Even if God said, don't touch it. Well, what's it going to hurt for her knowing a little bit more? That's none of our business. God said, don't touch it. But even in the church today, we kind of go, well, you're overheating, pastor. What's it going to hurt to teach that drinking's a sin? Drinking's not good for people. I will agree with you that drinking is not healthy for people. But to create a lie in order to get people to act a proper way is still a lie. And adding to the gospel is, by definition, a lie. And let me add something now, because I want to make sure I say this before we're done, that's really going to send some of you maybe over the edge. But if you can't trust God to keep his promises, what makes you think that he's going to make up a new one that fits your agenda? In other words, if God said, I'm going to save you free by sending my son and dying on the cross, it's by believing in me you're saved. And all of a sudden, a long time, we go, what if God changed his mind? I mean, we should help him along a little. I mean, what if there's only 700 places in heaven? I want to be one of the better 700 Christians, so I get in. Whatever reason we've got for being legalistic, if we start adding to the gospel, what makes you think you even know what ambiguous thing that this God wants who's the judge? Why would you choose religion? Maybe God wants us all to smoke natural things. In other words, what I'm saying is, who gets to decide what pleases God if we call God a liar? Did that make any sense? Okay, let me try again. God told us how to be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That if anyone believes in him, he will not perish but have eternal life. 
I've got to do more than believe. You've called him a liar. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, I'll do that. And then I'm going to be a good person. You just called him a liar. It's not what he said. Uh, we can keep going. Uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe that, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All who call upon the Lord will be saved, verse 13 says. Well, you've got to be baptized. You just called God a liar. And it's so nuts out there and in here sometimes that there's people who teach that the thief on the cross might have been baptized between the time he looks at Jesus and says, remember me in your kingdom, and the time Jesus said, uh, you'll be with me in paradise today. I had a conversation with a Church of Christ pastor, and I said, so what about that guy? And he said, you don't know that he wasn't baptized. At that point, there's nothing to talk about. When we are more committed to our doctrine and our flesh, and yes, it's self-righteous flesh, when we are more committed to our doctrine than the biblical truth, we have lost the truth. And that's what's happening in Galatia. That's why this is such a honking big deal. Because if you add anything to faith alone, you have a whole new gospel. And it's offensive to God. Example, verse 16. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say, this is where it's going to get theological and I need your brains in, but it'll make sense if you just work with me. So God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And we all go, oh yeah, that's right, the Hebrew people. No. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, plural, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Jesus. Wait. I, okay, what? This is one of those passages where you're like, I'm going to keep reading until I get something I understand. What this is saying is when God met with Abraham and made promises, he didn't promise to the descendants of Abraham. He said to Abraham, I'm going to do this, and I swear it to myself. God swore to God that he was going to redeem mankind through faith. Let's go to Genesis 15. The Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision. He said to him, don't be afraid, Abraham, for I'll protect you. And your reward will be great. And this text doesn't go into all the promises he makes. If you want to study the promises God makes specifically to Abraham, it's chapter 12 through 18. Just read them. One of, the, one of them is that your nation, your descendants will be a blessing to the world. And it is through that, that that Paul says he is referring to a Savior where anybody can be saved. So the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision. He said to him, don't be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But like a normal human, Abraham replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? <laughs> okay, nobody else thinks that's kind of rude. Okay, can you take a breath and see yourself in this story? I am going to make you the father of many nations. You're going to have kids. You're going to be a blessing, your, your heritage. I'm going, to, I'm going to bless the Gentiles through you. And Abraham's like, wow, I love it. These are great promises. Hey, thanks, sovereign one. What good are they if I don't have a son, though? Since you have given me no children, I've decided to uh, let Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, they're going to inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. So in case you're not reading this properly, I want you to understand that Abraham is being a big baby. He's throwing a tantrum, and he's threatening God that if God doesn't answer the prayer the way he thinks he should answer the prayer, he's going to take it into his own hands. 
I personally, I can't prove it, I don't think he has any inclination at all to do that. He's got his wife's handmaiden, which he takes and gets pregnant. That's where we have you know, the, uh, the other son that we don't talk about very often. But the fact remains that he's going to take things into his own hand and he's threatening God here. I mean, how arrogant do you have to be to tell God that he's not going to keep his promise? Just like us. Every time we add to the gospel, every time we try to work, every time we don't like what God's doing in the world, every time the wrong president gets elected, every time. I know you've got a sovereign plan, but if the church doesn't act, it may happen. I mean, seriously, have you been listening to some of these prophetic teachers lately? I know you've got this amazing end-time plan. I've read it. But we better be careful how we vote or it's going to happen. What? If it's prophecy, it's going to happen. Yes, but we must stop it. Am I wrong? Isn't that what's happening right now in Christendom? we got to get Trump back in there so that he stops Satan. Do you remember who this guy is? Well, God used Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, he did. That's why Biden's in there. God has a plan. That wasn't a shot, my Democrat friends. That He has a plan, and he can use anybody he wants to come and bring it to fruition. Have you read Jonah? Even a faithful man of God doesn't want God's plan to come about. And God said, no, my plan's going to come. I don't want your plan. So what does this foolish prophet do? By the way, Jonah was the third most famous prophet in the Bible. Did you know that? First we have Elijah. Joshua says this. We have Elijah, we have Elisha, and it mentions Jonah. And what does Jonah, the prophet of God, do who's famous throughout Israel and loved and loves his job? He doesn't like God's plan. So he takes this great plan. You want to know what Jonah thought of God? He got in a boat and went the opposite way as if God wasn't the God of the oceans. I mean, how stupid is that? Just like us. Just like us. I want you to be aware, child of God. If you don't like God's plan, drinking more does not make it less his plan. You don't like the one you married or the one God gave you? Having affairs doesn't solve that. This creates a whole new world of problems. You don't like the preaching if it's from the Word? Going to another church doesn't make us wrong. That's where we are today. When people look for churches, do you know what they say? I finally found a church that agrees with me. Isn't that crazy? It's not about agreeing with you. It's about agreeing with God's Word. So the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision, do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord. The Lord must be thinking, thanks for starting with that. What good are your blessings when I don't even have a son since you have given me no children? Eleazar uh, of Damascus, a servant in my old household, will inherit my kingdom. You have given me no descendants of my own. You, you, you. You, you, you. Me. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and he said to him, look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham at that moment believed the Lord and the Lord counted him righteous because of his faith. First, well, let's just jump on because I'm going to run out of time. Verse 7, then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possessions. God is saying, I did the choosing, I do the directing, I've got the plan, you just do what I tell you. But Abraham replied, 
O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess the land? So first it's I don't have any, I don't have any sons. I don't have any kids. I guess I'll just give it to one of my slaves. No, you're not going to give it to your slave. And even after this, he has sex with the wrong woman so that he can have a baby. He still doesn't believe God. But we're over now. Am I going to have kids? God convinced him. You're going to have as many kids as the stars of the skies. Now I'm wondering if God can be trusted about land. Why? Because he doesn't think God's good for his word. How can I be sure that we'll actually possess it? Then the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a, pig- a young pigeon. So what God is doing here, and as weird as that is to us Gentiles, this is not weird to Abraham. Abraham knows exactly what's about to happen. Why? Because God is having Abraham set up a traditional Middle Eastern covenant agreeing setting, agreement setting. In other words, if... Uh, When Abraham says, how can I be sure we haven't signed a document, we haven't done all that, you and I would go to a lawyer and then we would have it uh, notarized. This is what that is. I want you to get all the things together that we can make this agreement. We're going to make this a permanent agreement. So Abraham gets all those things together. So he presented all of these things to him and he killed them. Then he cut the animal down the middle and he laid halves side by side. So what there would be is, a, 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 a valley's not the right word, it's too big. So in the ground, let's say the ground is, th- is, is flat, they would take a, a, a hoe or something and they would dig a, a 6 to 12 inch pit in the middle and they would put all of the slaughtered animals on the side of each of these and the blood would pour out of the animal into that little pit, okay? Are, are you visualizing this? So the animal carcasses are there. Their blood is running down into the middle. The, the, the slaughter has been violent, and then the blood's in the middle, and it's pooling. Um, so, and what would happen is when the commitment is made, whether it's a man giving his daughter in marriage, whether it's agreement on land, a purchase of land, whether it's an agreement to fight together against enemies or to have flocks or whatever, at the end, both of the parties, they would walk through that blood and say, if I break my end of the bargain, you can do to me what you did to these animals. All of these agreements, these vows, were made with a blood vow. In other words, I will offer myself to be sacrificed, and it's not on your head. You can kill me. I won't hold you guilty for it. That will be my payment for breaking the sacrifice. So, verse 10, Abraham presented all these to him. He killed him. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, and Abraham chased them away. I just love the detail of this. You've got old Abe running around going, ah, don't eat the animals. We've got to stop. I don't know what's supposed to happen. Just interesting. As the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, you can be sure, in other words, I swear to you, I swear to you, Abraham, not to Isaac or Jacob, I swear to you and Jesus, I swear to you, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. Who's he talking about? Egypt, right? So he's prophesying. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Remember when they left? The Egyptians threw money at them. So this was true. This came out true. So now you know that God keeps his promises even if they're made 400 years before. In detail. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. Verse 15, as for you, you're going to die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. There's another promise. There's tons of promises in this. 
After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down, and here's where it gets really cool. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Those are images of God, by the way. He would have known that. He sees those images, and they pass between the halves of the carcasses. What's missing? Abraham never has to walk through. Only God walks through. Actually, it looks like two, two members of the Trinity walk through. The Father and Jesus. They walk through. And remember what it says when you put your feet in the blood? Whatever happened to these animals, if this contract is broken, will happen to me. Are any lights going on? What happened to Jesus? Remember that Paul says, and Christians fight about it all the time, Paul says that Jesus Christ doesn't do away with the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. You see, a contract is fulfilled in a couple ways. One way is to keep your end of the bargain. Well, we all know that people can't keep their end of the bargain. So what's the other way for a contract to be filled? To have it paid for. For the person who made the contract to be slaughtered. Well, guess what? He never asked Abraham to walk through the blood. His descendants will not pay the price for their sin. His son will pay the price for the sin. Now you know why he was slaughtered. Fulfillment of a covenant made 1,500 years before. So, so cool. A traditional covenant making gets weird for old Abe. So two things I want you to get because this, this has to be reiterated. First, God did all the work in choosing and setting Abraham up for this position. All Abraham does is doubt. He half believes him, but he has no part in earning this. None. I take you back to last week's message where I summarized his life. God said, I want you, and you, you to take your wife, and I want you to go over to this land that I've given you. And what does he do? He takes his wealth and his, his lot too. Uh, lot is his cousin uh, or his nephew. He takes his nephew or cousin? Nephew, takes his nephew a lot with him. And just like when you and I take things, when God asks us to take nothing, it's nothing but a mess the whole time. He disobeys from the very start. Why? Because he loves him. I want to take my people with me. Don't take your people. You take me with you. No, I need my people. Okay, you take Lot. And Lot is a mess. Not only that, but he doesn't trust God when God says, I'll protect you. He tries to pimp his wife off three times. Tell him you're my sister so they'll sleep with you and won't kill me so they can sleep with you. Three times. He doesn't trust God. It's amazing how little faith he has, but he has enough to believe that God will somehow work it out, but I, I'm going to need to help God. Boy, does that sound like Eve? Eve never rejected God. She just wanted to help him. She wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. She wanted to be wise, and that fruit looked so good. She wanted to help her family along. She wasn't evil. She was just untrusting. So she wanted to help God. Getting back to our... Oh, the second thing I want you to text, or understand, text, don't text anybody. God says in this contract setting, in the vision, that when you or your children fail your side of the agreements um, that I have made with you, and I will make with you with Moses, I'll take on the cost of their failure. Okay, let's allow Paul to put all this together from Galatians chapter 3. You with me still? It's about to come together in a big, huge way. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. 
You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect in your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. This was all set in way long ago, and we just saw back in Genesis when. How? How did the scripture look forward to a non-Hebrew law salvation? God proclaimed, next verse 8, God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all the nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Now you know why we went back to that contract. Now you know why only one walked through that day. God. Maybe two members of the Trinity physically walked through. But that day, God made a contract upon which he said, if you break it, when you break it, I'm going to pay. You can slaughter me. Verse 9. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Verse 10, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all, everyone, 100% of the time, all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Verse 11, so it's clear that no one can be made right with God by keeping the law. For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Faith in what? Themselves? No. In God. Their church? No. The Pope? No. The communion elements? No. The baptismal? No. Jesus Christ. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is by obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. I missed. (laughs) Genesis 15. Galatians 3. That's how we know that. That's how we plug that in. Because God made this covenant that Abraham kind of probably looked over because he doesn't ask any questions about it. Why didn't anybody else walk through? But God is showing us that I will take the punishment. Keep, Keep sticking with me here. Verse 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Wait, what wrongdoing? The breaking of our part of the bargain. From the Abrahamic covenant to the Mosaic covenant to our falling short of God's standard of acceptability, sin. This is why Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount talked to self-righteous religious leaders who had never committed adultery, who claimed to not hate anybody. They could go through the Ten Commands. They had kept the Sabbath holy, uh, who did all those things. They all thought they were doing good. So Jesus upped the ante. He said, listen, for those of you who've never committed adultery, I'm telling you, if you've ever looked at a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery. For those of you who hate and they all hated the Romans, you have murdered. That's why they hated Jesus. He kept upping it. And every time he upped it, the necessity of somebody else taking your sin was was at the top of that mountain, and the influence of the law became less and less and less and less. And that was a threat to people that wanted to control you. 
and it still is to this day. It was wrong to teach that interracial marriage was a sin. I grew up learning that. It was wrong to teach that drinking was a sin. They should have taught us to live holy. It's a, it's a lie. Do I think you should drink? I just want to be careful. No. If you don't start drinking, you won't become an alcoholic. But if your family drinks, just do it in moderation. I do think we should slow down our eating, and I'm speaking to myself. I mean, it, the, the fact is that people have been manipulating our behavior since 350 A.D. when Constantine co-opted the Roman Catholic religion in order to control a people group. And it's still happening in evangelical churches today. You are being controlled how to vote, how to think, by people who claim to open the Scriptures to you. And I am telling you that they're not teaching you what the Scripture says. They're taking verses out of context. And the only antidote of that is knowing the Scriptures for yourself. You must know them. Or somebody's going to come in and they're going to cleverly deceive us. We've got to know God through His Word. Verse, the next verse, but Pastor Mark, I don't see that. Keep going. 3.14, Galatians. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing He promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Remember that salvation. Through what? Faith. Notice it doesn't say Baptism, church attendance, membership, and, and, and all those things. It's through faith in God. This is truly between you and God. It's not between you and the Southern Baptist Convention or the Association of Assemblies of God churches or you and me or you and your wife. It's you and God. You and God. And I want to I tell you again how far we've gotten away from that. I will be done in 15 minutes, so bear with me. This is super important now. Now that you've got all this information, I want to bring it around. But I want to make it clear that when you look in the mirror and the Holy Spirit is saying, you have really walked away from me. How about instead of meeting with the pastor, you meet with the Savior? The, the tradition is that I'm going to call the pastor and I'm going to tell him that my wife, and I'm fine with that. I, I really am. I love to talk about God and His Word. I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm saying is, why is God the last one we meet with? Because we really don't believe we have a relationship with Him, I think. I think we say we do, but run to Jesus. Really, right now, no matter what you did, oh, don't get up and run out, that would be weird. But right now, you, you can go to him, no matter what you did last night. Well, I knew better. So, so willful sin, I, actually, i got to be honest, let me be clear, I'm the only one who, I must be the only one who always willfully sins. I don't know what a non-willful sin is. When I, when I speed, I'm doing it intentionally because I want to get there faster. Oh, officer, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I knew. I knew because I set my speed five miles an hour over the speed limit. When I lust, I know what my eyes are doing. By the way, I haven't done that in 13 years. Thank you for laughing. Come on, lighten up, everybody. We're in this together. This boat either sinks or we make it into the kingdom together. You realize that, right? That's the case Paul's making. And this is why I want to go on the side. So, so just, just think like Mark for a second. I know that's scary. But if it's not through faith alone... What is it that gets us saved? Well, uh, I think it's wearing blue tennis shoes on every other Friday. Okay, let's wear blue tennis shoes every other Friday. There's a, there's a billion cults. Find the one that makes you feel good. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying, right? It's either all God or we're in trouble. 
because nobody knows what he expects. He's left us a book of 66 books written over a period of 1,400 years by 44 different people at least. Men and probably some women were involved in this. And I want to make it clear. If we don't believe what this says, why would you believe what some Yahoo with a weird hat says? I'm not referring to the Pope, I promise. I just... I was referring to the Jewish leadership, but I don't, I'm not attacking Catholicism because being Baptist can't save you any more than Catholicism can. It's Jesus. Only Jesus. We still need Jesus. Well, I'm falling short all the time. It's because you're not close enough to Jesus. Well, I, I knew better. Yeah, but you didn't stop, did you? So if you stop now and for the rest of your life never do it again, can you undo what you did last week? It doesn't work. We're sinners. And I've told you, I used to use this all the time. If you try to make a great omelet with all the best fixings in the world, I said fixings. Yeehaw. If I try to make a great omelet, the best omelet ever, but one of the eggs is rotten, it's not a good omelet. And the problem is, even if somehow you could be convinced to never sin again, my Church of Wells friends, you lied. You lied. You sinned just then. You do sin. I haven't sinned since I gave my life to Christ. Ooh. That's right, arrogance. Self-righteousness isn't a sin anymore. <laughs> the truth is, if you could live out your life never having sinned again, once you realize you're a sinner, you're still rotten egg. You still got problems. How do you undo what you are? You can't. The answer is Jesus. Now you know why he called it being born again into a new life. Now you know why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I don't even live anymore. Because the life he lived in the body was full of sin and hate and evil. But the life I live now in the body, I live by faith for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 14 or 15, dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Almost done. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is the case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it's many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. So God promised Christ that they would take care of our sin. This is what I'm trying to say, Paul says in verse 17. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 400 years later when God gave the law of Mo to Moses. Why not? Because God would be breaking his promise. This is a translation that's very gentle. Let me say, that would make God a liar. That would make him a liar. If this doesn't come true... God, what he promised is not true. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. If this problem, sin, isn't fixed by God himself, if he changes his mind, if he adjusts the rules or demands to put Jesus and something else, then God is breaking his promise and he's a liar. And I want to add what I've said three times already. Then what does he want? Because the Bible says he wants nothing but our trust. So who can you trust on what he wants? What are your options? If you decide that this is not God's word or that God cannot be trusted, my advice to you is live it up because it only gets worse from here. Brothers and sisters, if we believe in God, it's time to believe in God. I have no idea what that means. Actually, I do. 
We have put our hopes in so many things, and I'm talking about myself. A good giving congregation, a nice family, health, good medical care, good insurance, a government that does right. They are all failing me, except my family. They never fail me. Kidding. God is the only one I can put my trust in. He's the hope. He's the answer. Numbers 23, 19 and 20. God is not a man, so he doesn't lie. He's not a human, so he doesn't change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Can you think of one example in Scripture where God's prophetic truth, his promises didn't come about? The answer is no. And he did some pretty rowdy things to keep his word, like a virgin giving birth. How crazy is that? Or how about water standing up on end and the ground being dry underneath to get his people where he wanted them to go? Or how about saving people like you who are nice people? from the world's perspective, don't need saving. You know you need saving. Only God could do that. Only God would do that. If God changed His mind and revoked the unconditional promise or changed the requirements even a tiny bit to bless the world through Abraham, then God's a liar. He's not moral. He's not holy. And actually, we have no idea how to appease this one. So now... You know why this is the most important message I've ever preached. Because adding a little bit here and a little bit there to the gospel isn't just adding a little bit here to make people better. It's a different gospel. You see, God wants you today to go, what do you expect from me? So you can, in the quiet of the answer, hear nothing. Just trust me. Is there anybody else up there? No. There's nobody else up here. You know, the disciples struggled with this. Struggled a lot. Because the crowds kept leaving. I was at a pastor's conference and one of, the, one of the teachers said, nobody split his congregation more than Jesus Christ. And it's true. I hadn't thought about it, but he did. He couldn't keep a crowd. He didn't seem to be worried about it either. But one day the crowd starts leaving and the disciples are distraught. And they come to Jesus and they say, Master, don't you care that the crowd is leaving? And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, are you going to go with them? And Peter seems to be exasperated and goes, well, where else will we find eternal life? And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit taught you that. Wow. We all struggle. We all want life different. Actually, you know what we want? We want heaven. No pain. No death, no sorrow, no jobs to worry about, money, no sickness, no COVID, no foolish politicians who seem to care only for their power. What we long for, the perfect spouse, awaits us in the next life. And we're not going to get it until we get there. Now you know why Colossians says, you have died to this life, now put your hope in what's coming. As Heather in her Bible study says, look up, eyes up. Last week we talked about turbulence in the cloud. Get above the turbulence. And then somebody who's a pilot in our church reminded me of even more scary 
clear air turbulence. And I think that's where most of us live. You all know it because when you fly, they say, please keep your seatbelts on if you are in your seat because of clear air turbulence. So you're flying along and it looks perfect. It looks like things are great. Look at how beautiful it is. We got above the clouds. Life is good. And all of a sudden the plane dropped. <laughs> Wasn't as safe as you thought, was it? Why? Because what you look for is heaven. That's our safe place. Until then, it's going to be rocky. If you want to know how to have a relationship with God, it's only through Jesus. Adding anything to it, whether it's Baptist dogma or Assemblies of God dogma or Pentecostal dogma or Catholic dogma or Mormon dogma, won't get you to heaven. Jesus Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how do I do that? Don't make it complicated. Just tell Him what you need. I know I'm a sinner. You are the only one who even seems to want to save me. And I've realized I can't do it on my own. So save me. And you will be justified at that moment. It's too easy. Then do it on your own. How's that working for you? World? It's not. It's why we have a drinking problem. It's why we have a drug problem. It's why we have a sex problem. Because all of those things give temporary pleasure. But they make your problem worse in this life. Run to Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Did this make sense? It's all Him, and when we try to add to it, it's offensive. Let's close in prayer. We love you, Lord, and we do believe in you, but boy, we're struggling with trust. So help us piece by piece give more of ourselves to you, more of ourselves to you, more of ourselves to you. And thank you, Father, for declaring us right with you, those who have called on your name. And if there's somebody here today, Father, who has not accepted your offer to forgive their sin, may today be the day that they run to you. And for the rest of us, may we cast off all of the things that tangle our feet up, including religious legalisms. And may we find our peace in you alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Be praying for our Douglas family. And uh, this afternoon, 2 o'clock, if you want to come up here, we'll be having a funeral and a memorial service. Uh, Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. So Wednesday night, we're starting up again this week. So have a wonderful day.